I'm Roger Miller, and this is Collective Mass Radio. Well, welcome to Collective Mass Radio number 16. It has been a long time coming. I have been uh, very busy. I've just become the technical director of Fuel Games, which is a fuel industries company. Uh, we just released our first game called Log Runner, which is a nice super casual game with some progression. It's available on the iOS App Store, the Google Play Store, and the Amazon App Store. Go check it out and please let me know what you think. We're also busy with some other uh, exciting properties, which I can tell you about a little bit later. Today we're going to be listening to a podcast that I recorded just before GDC 2015 with Richie Bissot. We've had him on the show. He was actually our very first interviewee, and he has a lot to say about project management. Now, usually I go very specific into Unity, but this was an incredible interview with lots of little tidbits for project management and just being a producer in general. So I hope you enjoy some tidbits from the Unity side. Uh, the Asset Store has been booming with new content. I've been taking a look at other plugins that we would use for um, our regular kind of integration stuff. Uh, we usually use Prime 31, but I've just been experimenting with a couple of others. There's a company called Second Fury who has the uh, native toolkit, which I really like. One of the things that I really love about Second Fury is how fast and helpful they are in responding to questions. The I've used their plugin specifically for their local notifications. Uh, it's just easier than kind of writing all the Android stuff yourself. They're local notifications handle Windows Mobile, iOS, and Android, uh, and is a nice little bundle package. Otherwise, just been taking a look at a lot of different assets. People have mentioned a monetary plugin called Smula, and I'll give you an update on that when I have done integrating it. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome to Collective Mouse Radio. I am sitting here with Richie Basso. Um, are you the owner, part owner of Hyperkinetic Studios? Yes, I'm uh, one of three co-founders. Oh, mm-hmm. co-founder of Hyperkinetic Studios. Mm-hmm. And here, we're here to chat about how his business is going, how the transition has been going from a big corporation to um, kind of being an owner of your own shop, and obviously, all the stuff you do in Unity. <laughs> so, um, we were chatting a little bit earlier about your decision uh, to start your own shop. Um, can you just... Give us a rundown of that. Okay, so um, the let me talk a little bit about my co-founders first. Uh, my co-founders are Dave Padilla, who's our CEO, and Tomo Morawaki, right. who's our Chief Creative Officer. And um, those guys are people I worked with a really long time ago when I was over at Treyarch on working on Spider-Man stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we we kept in touch over the over the years. And we always wanted to get back together, you know, work with each other and work with some of our other friends. And, um, you know, we just saw kind of the way things were going as an opportunity to to do that. Right. And um, we'd all gotten out and gotten some experience and gotten some experience in, you know, not only the console world, but in doing mobile stuff and some free-to-play stuff as well. So we said, you know, why don't we take that experience and put it to put it to use making our own, uh, making our own studio. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's really good. We were talking about um, how it was so hard to, uh, to get games to monetize. And um, yeah. you had uh, such a big game when you were working with Sony, and um, yet it was really hard to monetize that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was wondering if you can just give the listeners a little bit of a, a rundown of like how you got to the conclusion of your right. business model currently. 
Well, we made a game when we were over at um, it, it, it Loot, when I was over at Loot, uh, called Forsaken Planet that we're really proud of, and it won, won some awards, and uh, and I thought it was a, a good game for the mobile format. I mean, there are definitely things I would do differently with it right now, but um, you know, it was a good game, and people seemed to react positively to it when they played it. Right. But of course, as, as anybody who's in the, the indie indie sphere right now knows um, essentially the the largest problem is always going to be discoverability right yeah and if you don't have the numbers behind your game then it's not going to fly and our game was even worse because it was multiplayer um, mostly multiplayer game so it was a real time multiplayer game so it's not like the type of thing where you know you could just wait for somebody else to show up and take a turn right. everybody has to be there at the same time right, right. so with a game like that you kind of need to hit like a certain exceed a certain certain threshold right. of users before the game really starts to get traction right. and i think you see this with even kind of bigger games um like you see people dump a lot of money into multiplayer action games right. like ravaged for instance is is one where i went online um game looked awesome and I went online, and there was basically nobody around, so I didn't stick around either. Yeah. But that's kind of the effect that you get, right? So the idea is basically that you know we needed a bunch of money to to pour into discoverability, and it was just something that the, the company was not really prepared to to do. Right. Um, they wanted to, you know, they kind of wanted to I had like a field of dreams approach to it. You know, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah. yeah. yeah if they build it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's the biggest lie um, mm-hmm. that anybody that everybody in the industry tells themselves, right? right? Is that if I build it and it's super awesome and it's a you know it's a great game with great graphics and fantastic gameplay and a great monetization strategy that people will come and play it. and it's just not true yeah. um, you need to be able to to be able to reinforce your monetization I mean there are again there are off kind of weird um, you know strange outlying cases where people make a game like for Flappy Bird or whatever and it just all of a sudden just completely blows up and right. you know causes people to shut down their accounts and stuff. <laughs> but uh but i mean you know you know that's just not the normal case right if you're just a person who's doing this you're going to want to maximize your chances of success and i think that a big part of that is is actually you know being able to throw some money behind the marketing yeah and not just the development of your game yeah as to do it smartly i think I, I saw. I still see a lot of that with like more of the rock star guys, where they're just like, "Well, all you have to do is make a good game." Um, and, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I sent. Um, I had some friends who went to, to DDC next, and they had that same thing where they were like looking at like how do I get this game, and they talked to some of the industry leaders, and it's a mixed bag because you've got guys who have who have tried and failed and tried and failed, and they'll give you some like really what I think is good advice as far mm-hmm. as like being wise as to your investment in making games mm-hmm. um, and then you'll get some of the rock stars who will be like, like all you have to do is build a good game the reason all other games fail is because they're not good right and um, I, yeah I'm happy to clear up the myth because I yeah. know tons <laughs> of talented people who just yeah. pour their heart and soul yeah, I mean, unless you're unless you're somebody who brings with like a what was it the the guy who made the uh, did that Kickstarter that just went crazy lately. Um, he's like did the oatmeal comic, I think, or or some something like that. He's a guy who did a big comic, but anyways, he did this Kickstarter and was one of the the, the fastest grossing, you know, highest grossing Kickstarters, you know, fastest grossing of all time. It was like two hundred, three hundred percent within twenty minutes or something. It was just wow. no, it just blew everything out of the water that, that's been seen already. And it was because he already had a huge following, right? So if you're a rock star, I mean, you know, it's kind of easy to think that it's like, oh, I've got a freaking 
you know, ton of people who follow me already. So I might as well just, you know, put something out and it's just got to be good. And, dude, your stuff might not even be good, Rockstar. Yeah. Maybe you're just got, a, you know, a lot of people who follow you for whatever reason. So, I mean, for those of us who that's not the not the case for, I mean, you really need to, to have a better plan than that. So that's kind of how the idea, the kind of the uh, the setup of our company uh, came to be. We we decided that if we're going to be making our own games, which is which is what we ultimately want to do, um, we need to be able to finance that. We need to be able to support it properly. Right. We need to be able to, when we get to the stage where we need to support our game with marketing and we need to, you know, make sure that we get the eyes on that we, that we need, Correct. we needed to be able to fund that because it's not cheap either. Yeah. And it's it's increasingly expensive, in fact. Um, so what we decided to do is we decided to go for a model that I had seen work pretty successfully with some other companies um, where they split the company into, um, like ours, for instance, is 70% doing work for higher stuff. Right. You know, we're creating apps and games for other people and, and other companies and, you know, charging them for that. And then you know the remaining thirty percent is would be um, <clears throat> the remaining thirty percent would be internal IP development, and that would be funded by the other seventy percent in theory. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I I remember when I was a, a freelancer, I tried that a lot because uh, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do client work, and then I'll do this other thing. Mm-hmm. I found that the discipline to try and break those two up because if the client side blows up, it's yep. real money into your pocket, right? Yep. And then. It's very hard to say, like, oh, actually, no, we are going to be our own cost deficit for a month to make this game versus I can take this job and get paid. Right. How, how have you guys dealt with that? Okay, so it's funny. We're actually in a, we're actually in kind of a, kind of a weird situation right now. Okay, one of the things I think that we did that was pretty smart in terms of the way we dealt with it is having a guy who's, like, almost solely dedicated to doing business development, right? Right. So he's going out there and he's getting he's getting business for us, you know, pretty much the whole time. More or less, like ninety percent of his uh, of his time is spent, you know, getting new business, and the other ten percent is doing some GUI stuff for us or whatever. And that's that's Dave's job. That's right. what he does. Um, goes out and interfaces with clients, tries to get new business. You know, keeps up with the uh, the existing accounts that we have. Um, so part of that question is how do you stop that part, the new business and the you know kind of work for hire, from overwhelming the the other stuff? Correct. And I'll tell you, it's extremely difficult. I mean, especially when you're when you're just starting out. We were more 100 percent on on the work for hire stuff um, because we we were lucky enough to find really great clients. And then you know when we came to the end, it, it happens to work out at this point that we're exactly at the proportions I was talking about. Oh wow! Yeah, but only because we came to the end of our client stuff, and it just so happened it was December. And there was no new work right, out there, right, and right. so we just said, "Okay, what we're going to do for the month of December into into like January, February, is we're going to use the money that we made off of the um, the the three projects that we worked on to finance the internal game development stuff, so that we could not only just work on that stuff, but we could also bridge the the uh, the um, contractors that we had working with us that we really right, liked right, right. across the gap okay. until we get the new stuff." However. When we get to the point where, I mean, for me, the ideal situation is where we have four separate lines of business, right? And by line of business, I mean a client that we can 
more or less depend on for repeated work. Right. Um, so, like, if we get in with, a, you know, let's say client X who gives us you know, project one, and then they go, okay, if you do that, we get project two, and you do a good job on that. Project three, you know, like an ad agency right, kind of right. when it. Um, if you if you look at it in a certain way, like in in Mad Men, right? <laughs> so uh, exactly. I mean, there <laughs> there's a lot of that goes on around here, um, but no, it's um uh, m- maybe more martinis than money. But uh, <laughs> so for me, the ideal situation is where we get to the point where we have four lines of business right. um, at any given time, and we have you know teams dedicated to handling those lines of business, and then. What we do is we have a, you know, from that we have a pretty solid stream of money that's coming out of it. And then we're able to kind of, you know, looking forward in the future when we have to separate these things. And that that does become a concern where we go, okay, we do have enough money to be able to do this, but how do we maintain the discipline to be able to keep them separated? So I think the idea at that point is to maybe break that off into a separate company. Okay. um, into, Into kind of a subsidiary of this company where we go, okay, the resources that are in this the individual the the independent ip part of the company do not mix right. with the other resources right. like we share money and this just feed this you know the work for hire part feeds into the other the other company right but no, we cannot steal the people from that company okay okay right and if we don't have enough money to feed this yes. to feed the independent part then the independent part needs to shrink right right even if even if this part stays the way stays the size it, so right. the size it is you know, that needs to shrink down. But it's, for all intents and purposes, it is its own company. Okay. And the employees from this side cannot be stolen from, from the other side. Right. And I think that's probably the best way to go about it. I mean, I've, I've heard people approach it that way, and they say it works pretty well. Excellent. But it's, um, I think it takes, it would take a lot of discipline to be able to do that. Because I can already see the temptation, right? <laughs> Some client comes through, and they're, they're like, you know what? I need it done yesterday, and I'm going to pay you, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to do it. You go, God, I don't have anybody sitting around. And man, Roger's super good at doing this particular <laughs> thing. Really need him. But, you know, you need, I think you almost need to set it up where there's another head of the company, another person who's running that other section of the company that can just, they can just tell you no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to take that person. Find somebody else to do it. Because then at that point, really your, your issue is a resource problem, right? Yeah. You're always going to want the, the, the rock star programmer or the rock star artist to be able to come over and help you out, but you just have to be adult about it and say, no, you can't do it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really good, man. I, I yeah. wish you the best. I can, Thanks. I've seen that, like, I've seen that model work in a lot of, well, not that particular model, but I've seen, like, the whole thing of guys starting up a studio, mm-hmm. doing client work, and, you know, sometimes they either just don't do client work because they don't find it, and they just make games, and mm-hmm. they fail, or they succeed, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, but it's tough because I think at the core of it, most of us as game developers, the older you get, you just want to be able to sustain. You want to make money making games. Yep. So that line between like, oh, my own passion and mm-hmm. game for games and my own game yep. becomes less of a thing and more of like, I just want to stay in this business and, and, and enjoy it. Right? Yep. I think the biggest challenge for us heading our, at, at this stage in our development is to try to figure out ways in which we can create a production system that's expandable to handle multiple clients at the same time. Right. Right. Because we encountered situations this year where we had uh, three projects going at the same time. Okay. And we um, and we handled it when it was fine. All the all the clients ended up being happy. But I think that we were pretty much at our limit 
for kind of our the way that we the way that we structure our production right now. Okay. Which is you know it's fairly open kind of flowing type of production thing. We put a lot of trust in everybody who's working with us, and which is you know fantastic. And I think that's really the way that it should be. But I think that having a little bit more a little bit more structure to be able to make sure that everybody knows exactly what they're doing um, at any given point and right. you know make sure any questions that people have um, are getting are getting answered i think is is something that we need to that you know we as a company are going to need to concentrate on going forward right. if we want to be able to really expand to the point where we can have you know four like i said four lines of business running at any given time right. and be able to and be able to handle not only that but actually running um, the independent ip development uh, parallel to that right, right. as well. Are you guys so. using any kind of workflow system, um, or are you Scrum based? You um, you know, we fool around with Scrum a little bit. Uh, Dave's Dave's a big proponent of Scrum, <laughs> um, but I'm a, a Tomo and I are just you know we're more of kind of do what makes sense right. for for the. We're, we're truly agile, <laughs> as opposed to this extremely rigid, not flexible form of agile, which is that. like the the Tin Man doing acrobatics. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so agile, <laughs> clank. Is that a <laughs> it's just Jiratas all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I have a Jira task for creating a Jira task. <laughs> it just keeps going. I've never. I can't even do my stand up. <laughs> uh, but you've had yeah. a lot of experience with agile methodology. Well, geez, you know, I mean, it's it's. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to. I'm going to get maybe a little bit controversial here. Do it. Do it. <laughs> okay, so in in my mind, it's I think it's a lot like religion in a lot of ways, right? right? I think it's a lot like religion because because and you know this I don't I don't think this is anything that's necessarily insulting to religion, but I think it's like religion in lots of ways because it is a system that tries to convey to people who might not inherently grasp the principles of morality right right in religion's case um in a very simple and easy to understand and organized way right right and and putting ritual into it i think brings that uh i think helps to nail that point home because i think that pretty much every i think humans are geared wired for for ritual anyway Right. right so when you come to something like like scrum there's a lot of religion in Scrum, right? Yes. I mean, you're getting up every morning and everybody's standing up and, you know, supporting everybody. And there's, you know, iconography on the walls. And, you know. So you've been thinking about this metaphor. <laughs> no, no, I'm just making this shuff as I go along, dude. You're kidding like usual. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's high priests. <laughs> right? And, you know. There's offerings you have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's so exactly. <laughs> you know, there's kind of like an you know an underlying competitive aspect to it as well. Like you know the baskets being passed around, and like if you what you put into there is you know smaller than what you see your neighbor put into there, you kind of feel bad about it, and you want to put more into it, and you know it's just. I mean, there's a you know there's it. You know, I think there's a it, <laughs> and I think like with religion, you know, the thing that starts out with good intents. Um, can tend to get caught up on the on the ritual, mm-hmm. and I think that it can, you know, it can also be 
a way to manifest bad ideas um, right. that people that people will tend to accept w- along with the good ideas that um, that were intended. I think at the beginning of the thing. Right. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. So I mean, for me, I've always approached it as you know, at least production as as just look at a situation and try to figure out what makes sense in that situation. You know, try to uncover problems. And, okay, so here's here's my approach to uh, okay. to uh, I think the the best analog for for my approach to um, to production uh, came about when I said that. Um, well, the motivations for this were basically I want to take care of people, right? I want I, there's nothing more important to me than the people that work for me, right? Wow. And I want to make sure that that above all that they're happy, they're satisfied, and um, and able to do their jobs, right? And I think that there's a bunch of reasons why I feel that way. And, and, and foremost among some is that, you know, I really care for people. Um, and secondary to that is that I, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that only happy people make good games. Right, I agree. Yeah. Um, except for maybe Red Dead Redemption, from what I've heard. <laughs> Which, thanks, guys. Your sacrifice is well appreciated. <laughs> um, I love that game. Uh, but yeah, so... I. You know, from that, it's like, okay, well, how do you keep people happy? And the biggest way that I that I've seen in 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 game in game development that people become unhappy is when there's a mit, um, a lack of understanding about what's coming down the pipe, right? Yes. And yes. management is always reacting to things that are happening rather than um, remaining proactive. Right. And trying to and trying to stop things from actually becoming problems before they do, right? right. And so the way that that kind of in the evolution of, of my thought when I was when I was establishing kind of the way that I do production is that I, I'm a. Do you play RTSs? Yes. Okay, so I love RTSs, right? And I think that if you're an amateur at RTSs, which which I think you know all of us were at one point, <laughs> right? If you're an amateur at RTSs, you come into it and you go. You go, oh, look, um, right off the bat, they're giving me this uh, this tank unit, which is, you know, it's pretty beefy and can do some damage and maybe doesn't move very fast or whatever, right? Um, and they're giving me this other little, like, motorcycle piece of crap unit, right, that is, like, you know, has, like, t- two hit points and right. maybe no guns, and but that thing can move, right? It can go super fast. Yeah. And it has, like, a little maybe a little pea shooter or something on it. And I, I look at that motorcycle and I go, you know, as an amateur, and I go... I go, what the, who would ever in their right mind build one of these pieces of crap? <laughs> like, like you use one and, you know, it's, you, you go, oh, wow, that just got killed, like, super easy. Why would I ever build one of those again? But I think that as, a, <clears throat> as you become more experienced with RTSs, you realize that those are maybe the most valuable units in the game, right? Right. Because what they're able to do is they're able to go out there and they're able to uncover that fog of war and let you know exactly what your enemy is doing. Right. And... And allow you to prepare for the eventualities that are that are that are likely to to um, to to pass because of you know the builds that your enemy is doing or you know the troop movements or whatever right. So in real life, game development is exactly the same. How many teams have you have you seen um, that just kind of make a plan? Right? right, and the producers make a plan, and then they kind of kick back. They're ordering food. They're making sure everybody's in at exactly 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah. or 10 a.m. or whatever. Making sure you know 
doing localization and whatever. And, the, and there's a schedule, and the schedule is just like forgotten, right? Right. I've seen that happen so many times, yeah, 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 yeah. and and nobody's asking questions. People are, you know, individual individuals are sitting there, individual developers are sitting there, going, "Okay, well, you know, I've got a question about this particular thing." I've I've seen this happen actually, where, like for instance, an artist will come to an asset that they're supposed to be working on. They don't quite understand what it is they're supposed to be doing with it, and they've got kind of other stuff to work on, so they just put that thing aside, right? And they start working on something else. And they don't know that that is going to, you know, gum up the production right, process, right, right? Right, right? So they just, so they put it aside and all of a sudden, you know, it comes time for the designer or whoever to the programmer to, to integrate it into the game. It's not there. And the programmer's going, well, according to the schedule, it's supposed to be there. And the person goes, oh yeah, well, I had some questions about that. I, I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do. And it's like, okay, well, you, now it's not done and now everything's going to be late, Right. They're like, well, yeah, I got this other stuff. Done. I don't need that for another like two months right, or whatever, right? Right, right, right. So if you have a if you have production staff that is doing their actual job, what they're doing is they're being those little motorcycles. They're not being the the boss. Right. They're not being the you know whatever it's called the commander and supreme commander or whatever. <laughs> they're not running around transforming into a jet and blowing everything up. <laughs> you know, I mean, they should if they need to, but like the best role that production could possibly play is that little scout unit. Who goes around and just goes, problems, problems are coming, problems are coming, right. how are we going to deal with this, problems are coming, and you anticipate, you know, you intercept the problems before they become an issue. Right. Um, an example of this, I was working on um, Incredible Hulk game, uh -huh. and I started a, uh, I was running a, a squad of people, about 70 people. And it involved, it was, it was great the way they had set it up because they put one person in charge of a squad that was responsible for missions and environments, right? Right. And it's a lot of people, a lot of responsibility, but there were, there were coders, there were producers, there were, um, there were designers, there were artists, um, and, you know, sound and effects people all, all under the, uh, all under, all within the squad. And it was my responsibility to keep the thing flowing. So one of the things I did is I took um, uh, producers, like junior producers or junior designers, when they first came onto the team, and I gave them a clipboard with a with a spreadsheet on it, or like uh, yeah, like a spreadsheet on it that had everybody's name on the on the squad, and it had columns for what are you doing. Um, it had column for can I help you with anything, mm -hmm. and do you have any questions. Which is kind of two, kind of asking the same question twice, but sometimes you got to ask questions <laughs> yeah, twice, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I remember one of our one of our guys is going. We we make do rounds like these every like every other day just to make sure everything was on track. And so they'd fill in the sheet. They go around to everybody and fill in the sheet, and then they come back to me, give me the sheet, and I look over it and I see if there's any problems that they weren't able to deal with, and uh, I deal with those problems. So one day. Um, the I think it was a junior designer came back to me and said, "Um, I was talking to our texture artist. This guy was just you know mostly a texture artist, right. and he says he's uh, doing all his textures with a mouse, and he doesn't have a Wacom tablet. And could he have a Wacom tablet? Dude had been working for like two months without a Wacom tablet, <laughs> and so, somehow still doing all right, right?" <laughs> 
And so I said, well, what happened? You know, and they said, well, I went to, you know, it's a great way, by the way, for junior designers and junior producers to get to know the team yes, yes. and be seen as people who have a positive influence and, yeah. you know, to understand, you know, where to go when they need to get things done. Right. So, but I said, well, what'd you, what'd you do? And they said, well, I went to the art, the studio art director and I asked him for one. He said, no. And I said, okay, well, let me handle this. <laughs> so I went into the guy's office and, uh. And, and I said, so I hear you won't give, uh, you won't buy a Wacom tablet for this, uh, for this texture artist. And he goes, well, why would, why, why would, why should we do that? Why would, why does he need it? And I'm like, are you going to be fucking kidding me? He's the creator. Yeah. No, he's the art director. And, and he, <laughs> the dude's doing textures on it with a mouse. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to. You're going to approve the purchase of a Wacom tablet immediately, right. because you're not going to drag down the productivity of my of my uh, my squad by not buying a dude like a 150 buck Wacom tablet or right. whatever it is. I said you're going to authorize it immediately, or else I'm going to talk to the president of the company. And so, of course, the dude's like, "Oh, I didn't know you felt so strongly about it, or whatever." <laughs> and like, it has nothing to do with my feelings. <laughs> this is science. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, naturally, the the guy's productivity improves by like threefold, right? Um, at least, and you know, we start getting better textures out of him and whatever. And you know, it's just a uh, it's it's being smart about these things. And yeah. like, if you don't, if you don't. If you don't uncover these things, it's not even being smart. It's being proactive. Um, it's like it's like my co-founder Tomo says, the uh, the um, the the effectiveness of a leader can be judged by the number of steps they take in a day. Right. Okay. Okay. So if a person's just sitting in the chair and they're kind of like you know blocked in world and they're just doing their thing and not really paying attention to what's going on around them, not asking people how things are going, not talking to people to find out how they're doing, then they're not a very effective person, yeah. right? So you know, for for us, it was just a matter of the team's so massive. It's you know, it's not even like I could even go up and go around and go to everybody. I had people helping me out doing it, right? Part of the, part of being creating an expandable system. So, you know, it, it blew my mind how many of these situations we'd run into where, you know, there's a lot of developers who are not super straightforward. Even if you get them in a stand-up, like with, um, with, uh, with Scrum, they're not going to want to talk about anything. You're always going to have some asshole in the group who's going, who's looking at everybody who talks and going, really, I just want to get back to my seat. Why are you bringing up problems again? Yes. I want to be done with the Scrum, like, immediately, please shut up. <laughs> right? And so they're going to get intimidated. They're not going to say anything. They're going to be naturally shy. That doesn't mean they're bad people. That just means they're, they need, you need to be proactive, Right? And problems like this can sit there and they can gum up your works, right? And people wonder why their games are late. Right. You know? It's, I mean, like, first of all, I want that saying to be in fortune cookies and just, we just throw those all over GPC. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, like, I've, I've encountered that exact same thing. And it's, it's really strange. I mean, like, also just traveling the world and seeing how different people mm. interact. I mean, I know when I was in the Middle East, like, it was... You, you did not insult anybody to their face. So, <laughs> so, I mean, like, and even if anything could be, like, even interpreted as negative, like, mm -hmm. you just didn't say it. Right. So, so we're saying, like, hey, I'm not getting these art assets from this particular person. It, you know, it, is a, it, it could be viewed as an insult that that person's not doing their job. They don't want to get them fired. So all of a sudden, like, nothing happens. Like, everyone's going to be <laughs> 
And it's and all it is, I mean, like you can get angry because mm-hmm. I'm quite a direct dude, so I get kind of upset with that. But then you just realize, like, that's how it is. And yep. the only way to solve it is, so don't try and change the human being. Just yep. go up to them and be like, "Hey, so in an ideal world, like, what would be happening? Yep. that would smooth it up." And then the guys are like, "This, this, and this." Yep. And I mean, I found that having having people see producers that are doing their job inspires loyalty. Oh, dude, they, absolutely, one hundred percent. And and just get that product done, right? And it Absolutely, gets people on their show. You talk to them a little yep. bit, and then they'll, they'll be coming to you and be like, "Hey, hey, wait a minute." Yep, and and this is part of the reason why I had the designers do it as well, right? Because the designers are, whether we like it or not, oftentimes designers are the alpha and the omega of of game development, right? right? I mean, they're the people who generate the ideas, um, and you know, most most often, and they're all, most often the last people that the idea sits with when it gets implemented, right? right. So they're kind of waiting for everybody to do their jobs well. You know, they generate the ideas. Everybody kind of puts together the blocks and pieces, that uh, the tools that make those things a reality. And then designers typically take those tools and assemble the blocks and, and you know, put the finished product product out. And so I, w- I thought it was extremely important for designers to have this skill as well or to have this experience as well. Yeah. So they do get seen as a positive force. Right, right. So when it's last minute and you need somebody to absolutely need somebody to do something to make your level work or your your mission work or whatever you can go to that person and that person's not just going oh you're the guy who sits over there and generates freaking work for me to do all the time no you're the dude who got me the wacom tablet yeah absolutely i can do that for you right i mean that's that's good you know getting people to work together as a team and getting people to you know understand that that the production is looking out for them is is a humongous win, right? And that's why, and and it also works for it. Also, you know, it's a it's a humongous win for production as well because I think a lot of people think that a production should be is this like conflict filled job, and it shouldn't ever be a conflict filled job. Right, right. I loved being a producer way more than I loved being a game designer. All right. And here's why: I never have to argue with anybody. A designer comes to me and goes. And goes, I want to do some stupid ass idea or whatever, right? So I go, wow, that sounds fantastic. You're a genius. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's two months out from the end of the game. And you've got this, you know, super complex, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? What do they call the quick time event that you want to put into the oh, game? Right, right, right. All right. So that's that sounds good. Um, let me run this through the thing. I break it apart into the... the the, the composite tasks, right? I sit down with the artists and sit down with the, the programmers and, you know, for a few minutes and we break it apart into the tasks that would be required for the thing to happen and then um, get our estimates on those tasks and, you know, slot them into people's schedules that would be doing them. And then I bring um, a list of the, you know, I kind of bring the schedule back to the designers and I go, all right, um, this, is a, this is the person's schedule. The dotted line going through it are things that uh, are will not make it into the game. Anything below that line will not make it into the game. Right. Um, where would you like me to slot these tasks? I love that. <laughs> and then they go, oh, well, I can't do without that thing. And I go, okay, well, it's necessary for this thing that you're talking about to happen for that thing to drop off the schedule unless you want to reprioritize the whole thing. I actually don't care. I'm a producer. I'm here to bring you information. I'm not going to tell you what to do ever. Like, I never, ever will tell you what to do. Right, right, right. Ever. It's completely 100% your decision. It's my job to just make that make all the kind of ramifications of those decisions known to you. Right. And let you make those decisions. And I'm telling you, 100% of the time, people will make the right decision after seeing those things. 
right? But it's super easy, for, and this is usually what happens, is producers go, oh, I want to head them off at the pass because I know what's best. I know what's going to fit and what's not. And so somebody, you know, they, two months before the game's over, they propose the quick time event, and the producer goes, no, you're out of your mind. You can't do it. That's not your job as a producer. Because if the if, because if the uh, the project manager or the, the the lead designer or whoever is in control of the uh, the feature set of the game says, "Look, I want to sacrifice some other part of the feature set to make sure that this thing gets in," then who are you to say that you, they can't do that? Right. It's not the producer's job. That's a very good point, man. Very it, good point. You know, and I think that for, as a producer, it's fantastic because <laughs> yeah. I just go, "All I got to do is a lot of legwork to make exactly." <laughs> this is not my responsibility. I don't make decisions. I don't know. I'm not trained. I'm, that's not my job description to make sure that the that the content of this game is the best it could possibly be from a creative point of view, right? Right. Um, it's my my job to make sure that everybody has all the tools they need to do um, to do their jobs. Number one, and number two, to make the right decision. Right. So, and also, you would get seen as like the best the best part of the team in a lot of ways to a lot of people because if you're really doing your job. Then you're able to raise. Um, so, for instance, I had a I had an artist one time who who goes, I'm in you know asking him for our estimates on his stuff, right? On on some tasks that he had gotten assigned, and he goes, man, he's like, I know what you're trying to do. I know what you're trying to do. You're just gonna bring this in. This is in the middle of a meeting, right? Yeah, yeah you're just gonna bring this back on me and blah blah blah. He's going like certifiable like. <laughs> Like a mountain man, you know, militia guy on me. And so so I'm like, all right, everybody, get out of the room. I got to have a talk with this guy. And uh, so the dude, so the dude and I sit down and I go, you know, I know you're new to the team. And I'm going to, so I'm going to explain to you why I'm doing the things I'm doing. I'm asking you for our estimates so I can take it and put it into a schedule. And I showed him his schedule and I said, I'm going to draw this dotted line through your schedule. And I'm going to go to the people who are running the team or making decisions in terms of like, what features are going to make into the game and what aren't. And then I'm going to go, these things you're asking for, um, based on a 40-hour work week for you know this particular artist, are not going to make it into the game. Right? And this is months before the game is supposed to be done. Right. right? So when you bring that type of information to a person who's a decision maker that far ahead of time, they're going to go, oh. And I said, based on you know the number of hours this person has available... I don't say 40-hour work week because that's a bad thing to bring up to people because they go, well, why not a 60-hour work week? But if you just don't say anything, usually people are pretty, you know, people are pretty pretty reasonable about it. And you just go, look, um, based on the amount of time this person has, they're not going to be able to get this and this and this feature in. What do you want to do, right? And at that point, they don't, they, in fact, 100% of the time, again, I've never seen anybody go, well, they just need to work harder, Right. right? They will go, I will, and I give them options too. And that's another thing, a great way to manage up, by the way, anybody who's <laughs> listening that, that, uh, everybody should be doing this. You, if you want somebody to make a decision, that's a decision maker, really what you want to do is you want to give them options you don't want to give them the bad option. You don't go, Hey, do you want to hire more people? Hey, do you want to cut, um, some of the features of the game? Hey, do you want to, uh, do you want to shift people over from another team? Or, you know, D, do you want to make everybody work 80-hour work weeks? <laughs> you just don't give them that last option. And usually they'll pick one of the three above, right? Um, so, it, you know, and, and in that way, what you do is you become a protector of the people that you work for, right? Because you're bringing problems to decision makers' attention before the decision makers are cornered 
and have to make bad decisions. Right. Right. So like, for instance, when we're working on Spider-Man two, we had, um, I don't know if you, if you ever played the game, but we had a, we had the entire entirety of Manhattan uh, modeled out and you could go anywhere you want to in it. But uh, I don't think many people know, but we actually had a sewer that was um, a whole sewer that ran a system that ran underneath Manhattan and connected the different parts of the city. And we had like a whole set of missions with the lizard and, you know, all sorts of stuff in, in those, those sewers. And I'd worked on some of the missions and there was one dude and actually, this is one of the stories that inspired me to, to kind of come up with a, a more rational production system. Um, there was one artist and uh, who had worked extensively and exclusively on the, the sewer system. And then one day, towards the end of the project, uh, somebody came in the room. They're like, yep, we're cutting the sewers. And I go, what? What are you talking about? We already put a ton of work into it. And they're like, yeah, you know, we just uh, finally got back to looking at the schedule and it looks like it's not going to make it. So uh, we're just going to cut the whole thing. So, you know, maybe that's a responsible decision, a decision that couldn't have been avoided with how things had proceeded up until that point, up until that point. But um, fact of the matter is there, this one artist just got the entirety of every single piece. You know, he had every single piece of art that he worked on in the game cut from the game. Yeah. And didn't get any art into that game after working on the game for two years. Jesus. Yeah. And I vowed to myself, I, I said, I'm never going to let that happen again to anybody. Because what a horrible thing to happen to somebody. Yeah. It's like Christopher Lee showing up for, uh, what was it, Return of the King and realizing that every single part that he was in in the movie got cut. <laughs> <laughs> this is at the premiere he learned this, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's, wow. it's, it's just, I think it's something that's horrendous to happen to a person. And like I said, you know, I care more about my people than I care about anything else. And I would never, ever want that to happen to anybody. And it's not going to happen to anybody on my watch again. So the only way to make it so that that doesn't happen is to remain vigilant and, you know, establish uh, uh, behaviors that will, will, will make sure that those things don't happen. And that doesn't have to be scrum. It can just be freaking common sense. It can be, it can be doing your job and being active. You know, a producer's job is not to get, not purely to get food. A producer's job is to make sure his people's taken, people are taken care of. Right. Um, you're not the boss if you're a producer. You're you're the ultimate and most beneficial servant that anybody can have. You're like the Alfred <laughs> to the developer's Batman, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. So so yeah. I mean, for us here, our, our challenge is to you know create a good system and get the people necessary to make sure that that um, that we can support that system so that we can expand the number of clients so we can handle any, any given time. Again, we did really well with three clients and three like relatively big clients um, at once, but I just, you know, for the sake of everybody that's on the team, like I really wouldn't want to push it much more than that right. without, you know, hiring additional people and making sure that we got into, you know, beneficial habits that will, will keep things rolling on, you know, keep the trains running on time. Right. So... Oh, nice. So yeah. Can you talk about a little bit about the work that you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had three projects that we worked on, like I said, and um, the first of which was for a company called NC Bio Networks, and they are in, and this we were super happy to get this. Um, um, they're a company that does um, applications for. Um, medical studies programs at colleges in North Carolina. 
So what we did is we created an interactive microscope tool to help teach college students how to use microscopes. That's cool. Yeah, it was really rad. Um, I mean, I thought I, I was super interested in it. And, you know, I think one of the things that people get scared of when they, when they get into doing work for hire stuff is that they're going to get, they're going to get put into doing stuff that's not super interesting. And, you know, everybody wants to make their, you know, their first person shooter or their like, you know, kind of like derivative eight bit side scrolling (laughs) game or whatever. Right. But, uh, you know, that's your dream. That's your dream or whatever. But, and so I was kind of scared when I first got into this, I was like, well, you know, I'm not gonna be doing games necessarily. If business comes along, I'm gonna have to take that business in order for us to make money. And it turns out, it's actually still really fun to make those things. I mean, we're, yeah, and we were making a we're, we made it in Unity, of course, um, and it was just a, it was a lot of fun, and it's and it's also great to know that the stuff that you're doing is going toward a good cause, right? right yeah. To like helping helping people learn yeah, things in a way that's, that's yeah, awesome. to helping people learn things uh, that learn things that uh, might have eventually helped them to be better. You know, doctors or or, or lab technicians or, or whatever whatever they might end up being. Um, so that was a pretty fun project. Uh, we they were really great to work with. Um, our other project, our second project, was with Mattel, mm-hmm. and we actually started by working on um, with the Firephone prototype. Oh, yeah, which was really interesting because it has I don't know if you guys know or not, but it has uh, five cameras on the front of it. I think. I think it has four, four or five. Yeah, I think there's four in the corners, and then there's one. Yeah, there's like one regular camera up there. So what that does is it allows the phone to really track um, pretty accurately the the position and orientation and kind of depth of your head and your face. So they have this thing where basically you can move your head around. I'm moving my head around for you, those of you right now without a visual. Um, so it tracks the movements of your head and kind of the inclination of your head. And allows you do stuff like if you have, let's say, you know, the simplest example is you have a square that's floating out in space. It allows you to kind of move your head around in front of the phone. And the square will actually, you know, your perspective on the square will actually shift wow. according to where your head is. So this was all kind of on you know, on, um, untested stuff. Right. And uh, Amazon... I'm sorry, uh, Mattel wanted to put together um, a, kind of a demo for Amazon for, for some big Amazon event. Right. And it had like a week to do it. <laughs> and we had talked, we had talked to, uh, you know, somebody came to us with it and, you know, one of our, one of our buddies came to us with it and uh, he's like, you know, this is, this looks like it's going to be pretty difficult to do. And, you know, you got a week to do it. There's a, there's a plugin, but it's completely untested. The hardware is completely new. You know, I personally never worked with any kind of like <coughs> crazy camera stuff like that right. myself. And um, they wanted to take an existing uh, game, the Hot Wheels game, and make a make a make a demo out of it. It was a web game as well. Ah. Now the web game, <clears throat> the way that it was structured was that there was a um, there was a Unity was handling the 3D part of it, and then um, there was 2D. The 2D part of it was handled by Flash. Oh no! Was it was yeah. it using scale form? I no, it was just it was a it was a flash layer on top of on top of Unity. Wow! And so what we what we ended up doing is, um, well, they said okay for the demo. What we need is we need you guys to be able to have like a, you know, like a basic thing where you can, you know, you have a uh, uh, an intro screen like an intro menu, and there's a kind of a two D background in back of another two D background, and they're kind of parallaxing around, and we want you to be able to to control that with your head, and then. 
ideally you go into another part where you can you know choose your cars and you can also kind of scroll you know look around the car okay. and you know zoom in on the car by getting your head closer to in you know further away from the the phone or whatever interesting and we had a veteran programmer friends of ours who were like we we went to him and we said, "Hey, can you back us up on this if we need it?" And and they're like, "Hell no! <laughs> like there is no way you guys are going to be able to do that." And uh, so we went to him and tell him. We said, "Okay, well, we need to drop some you know kind of plans for this because we don't want to, you know, we don't have the code for the other game either." And like, you know, it's I think we got the code like maybe five days before the due date or something like that. And. Uh, and we said we got to drop some, you know, kind of contingency plans in case we can't get this done because there are any number of, you know, landmines that might might be in, you know, the field, intervening field between us and success. And so they said, okay, well, you know, on a base, our base level goals are this and this and this. And they said, ideally, we would like this and this and this. So we actually um, we nailed all the base level goals within like three days. Nice. And uh, then we went on to to also nail every single one of their. Uh, their ideal goals um, with with like two days to spare. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know. I'm. So we just it was like five day project. And then, yeah, so and we, we it was like it was. I mean, it was more like a it was more like a week and a half. Right, right. Total, right. but I mean, by the time we got the code, you know, we got everything straight around. I got the code code from um, the the game that it was based on, then redid all the menus and and everything like that. It was. You know, we really hustled on on it, and you know, we it was like old school days where we're just working, you know, twenty plus, you know, oh, yeah. hours a day and everything, and it was it was fun. But, but I mean, like, um, so they were impressed with what we did on that, and they asked us to do a kind of a port of the game um, over to over to Amazon devices, right. uh, Kindle devices, and so we did that as well, nice. um, and that ended up being you know pretty well received. So then we um, they came to us with another project, which was kind of a port plus on top of that. Right. So we did a a challenge mode for the game. And the game the game itself is a pretty simple game. It's um, Hot Wheels Trackmaster, right. and it's an awesome idea because it allows you to create your own tracks like you would with a you know when you're a kid with a, the Hot Wheels tracks. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, and then race the cars on the tracks, and you know, completely free game. It's just a you know it's a really great advertising tool for them. Um, and you just have to, you know, you earn different pieces by going through and completing races and stuff. So they said they want something that's a little bit more engaging for the actual game part of it. So we made a challenge mode that um, for, you know, two things, you know, number one, regular race challenges like, you know, complete it within a certain time or use a certain amount of boost or don't hit the sides or whatever. And then we did a build challenge mode, which um, in which we built out these kind of like really crazy tracks. And then we put a couple um, pieces of those tracks out there. And they say, okay, you have to, you have like a set number, you have a set number of, of pieces that you have available to you, and you have to build a track that goes through all these pieces. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's so, cool. yeah, it was, it ended up being really crazy. Um, and we got that done, and it's, it's really fun, actually. I had, I had a good time with it. Um, Tom was a, Tom was a brilliant designer. Uh, but, you know, did a, he did a great job. He was, you know, the, he was the main guy behind the swinging on Spidey 2 in conjunction with, uh, with, um, <clears throat> guy named Jason Bear and a guy named Jim Zachary, who's an animator, and uh, another guy named Andre Pokrovsky, who's a amazing coder, as uh, as is Jason Bear and another guy, um, <clears throat> Jamie Fristrom. So uh, yeah, so I mean, it's it's great to be able to work with great people. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's awesome to be able to used to go into meetings and be terrified of what the people that I'm working with are going <laughs> to say to the people across the table, be super embarrassed all the time. But honestly, like working with these guys is just a, is a dream because I can go to a meeting and I fucking love to talk. As you can see, like I can, <laughs> I can talk your ear off all day. It's something I got, you know, handed down to me from my grandma. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I go into a meeting with these guys. And I don't have to say a thing. I can just sit back be like cool as a cucumber and not worry about a thing because they get it covered. They're that just, is fantastic. Oh, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. And they say things that are far better than I would even say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's great to have people that you really um, respect and trust and to work with. And, you know, I think that extends to the people that we're hiring. And I think that, you know, a lot of people could attest to the fact that if you, if you go to a restaurant, right. And there's a lot of, like you get crappy service and, you know, there's, you know, food tastes bad and people have bad attitudes or whatever. I mean, you can almost always guarantee that the person who's running the place is kind of an idiot too. Right. right. And I think it's a testament to how, what kind of a a good, how awesome my co-founders are that, you know, we've got this just awesome group of people working for us too. Um, we just attract really nice people, really good people. Um, we have really great programmers we're working with. A lot of people are working remotely, which is awesome. Mm, that is very cool. Um, we get up to about 15 people at our at our highest. Right. Um, the way we're structuring it right now is that the they're only, you know, it's the founders, and then everybody else's contract. And right. you know, we just make that plan right up, right up front. When people are coming in, we go, we're going to pay you as much as we possibly can. Um, we'll keep you on it for as long as we possibly can. But you know, obviously, at some point, if we don't have business, we don't have stuff for you to do. You're going to have to move on. And I think that. People these days, I mean, it's a lot different than it used to be. And I think most people these days understand that. They get it, and they're totally fine with doing that. Especially in L.A., which is a very gig-to-gig town, you know? Yeah. And, you know, as a a person maybe, you know, just 10 years ago, like 5, 10, you know, 7 to 10 years ago, I never would have. I would have, like, had a heart attack if I would have had to do that, right? Right. Where I'm doing gigs and going from one thing to the next. But it's fine. I mean, and, and we, you know, everybody's super happy I had... One of our uh, one of our people come up to me and go, it's it was her her first gig, and and she came up to me and you know she's been working with us for many many months now like probably like seven eight months now, and, and we're walking to lunch one day and she goes you know what kind of sucks, and I'm like what what sucks, she's like you know I I know that this is probably going to be the best place that I ever work, <laughs> and she's like I kind of felt like I got born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, I hope that's not the case. Yes. And I, I hope we can keep you forever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great compliment. And, you know, we, we have a fantastic time. We do, we do company outings. You know, we go, we go places. You know, we, we, don't, we, like to, we like to have fun in the office. We don't, you know, it's not a, you go in places and it feels like people are kind of, I remember visiting some places and it feels like people are kind of afraid to talk to you because yeah, they don't want to yeah. get in trouble or whatever. But yeah. It's the opposite here. I mean, if you can see you're looking around and we're just, we got a bunch of crap up on the walls, and we <laughs> it's not very structured. There's a there's a, 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 f- a picture of Miley Cyrus on the wrecking ball, but instead of Miley Cyrus's face, she has like what's his name? Uh, uh, hit Dad. What's his name? Nicholas Cage. <laughs> his face on it. It's one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. We've got a we got a, a fly, disgusting fly catcher hanging up in the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we still got our Christmas stockings up. We're not a really tightly wound shop, but we're extremely effective at what we do. Hey, that's all that counts, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was, was some other stuff that we, that's been interesting for us. 
Yeah, I mean, so us as founders, um, we're paying ourselves as if we are on unemployment. So we are the we are the lowest paid people at our company. Wow, uh, by far, actually. And uh, Tomo actually was not uh, paying himself anything for quite a while. Um, you know, he just came into it and said, "Look, I'm going to stick it out as long as I can." And I get paid. We recently forced him to start taking a paycheck. So, uh, but yeah, where I'm getting paid like ten bucks an hour or something like that. So, and it's fine. Like I'm eating a lot of ramen noodles, which is awesome. <laughs> Anything that uh, you know, trying to save up as much money as I can to go out whenever I can. Um, but you know, we just I think the the point behind that is that we we again, our people are the most important thing to us, and it's important to us to make sure everybody else gets paid before we uh, before we get paid. Right. Um, I mean, I know that's not the case with a lot of companies. Like, there's one of the one of the artists works for us is, you know, hasn't been paid ever for one thing that they were working on. So, like, and I know for a fact that the 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 things making money, so that's not cool. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's I think it's important. You know, if you're if you're starting up a company, just be an adult, right? You know, you gotta you're taking care of people. You gotta make sure you do take care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not just like making sure that you know they have something to do and you know they have the privilege of working for you or whatever but you need to make sure that they're having as good a time as they possibly can and that you're making things easy for them and you know you're making it a great environment for them and you're doing everything that you can to make sure that they can do their job as well as yeah. they can yeah. so but you know that's what we're doing and right now Dave and Tomar are in Amsterdam and uh, giving speeches <laughs> not partaking in any drugs I'm sure and <laughs> <laughs> Those guys don't do that stuff, though, so it should be easy for them not to do it. Um, they are Tomo is in the Evil Game Design Challenge, oh, really? which is something the Casual Connect does, which is I think brilliant. It's a uh, well, name like that; it just sounds like ominous. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um. I think the idea is that they basically, and I'm, and I'm sure if people will correct me on this, but um, I think the idea is that they're given a game, or at least the first one was that they were giving a classic game like Mario Super Mario. I think was the right. game. And they were um, tasked with trying to turn it into a free-to-play game, and make it as like evil of a free-to-play game as possible. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's really neat. And um, yeah, so that that's one of the things they were doing. And then Dave was given a speech about um, stress and starting up uh, starting up your own company and the stress that comes with that and how to deal with it. Mm. Oh, this is not the first time that Hyperkinetic uh, was in existence, by the way. Oh, really? Do yes. tell. So Hyperkinetic was uh, this is Hyperkinetic um, V two. Right. Uh, Hyperkinetic Part One was something that Dave and I came up with um, before I actually got my job over at Sony. Right. And uh, when at the iPhone had just uh, the iPhone App Store is that what they call it yeah. App Store um, had just come out, and we said, well, we might as well get everybody together and you know make some games for it or whatever. <laughs> Or make a game for it, and so we ended up making a a game that was so, so close to being Words with Friends. Oh no! Don't and me. no, and we got it worked. Everything worked. Everything was totally fine, and we got right up to the end of it, and then everybody got jobs, <laughs> and we stopped working on it. Oh. <laughs> and this was in this was in uh, two thousand nine. So it was like mid-2009 when we stopped working on it. 
I have, and, a, I have yeah. a history of those close misses. In my oh family. my god, isn't that the worst? Uh, one of my grandfathers, a great grandfather, was digging in uh, Kimberley in South Africa and okay. like sold his plot of land to somebody else, and then they dug in like a oh, foot no. and like got diamonds. Oh no! <laughs> no! So it's like. <laughs> She's <laughs> right? come on. But I mean, to be honest, it's it's such a weird industry because you don't know mm-hmm. what's going to hit, right? Right. And like, there are tons of flapping bird type things have mm-hmm. happened before that happens, right? mm-hmm. and with all these different games. Yep. But there just seems to be a right time. Everything just works together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, I used to beat myself up about it. Where you sit at the breakfast table and you're that guy being like, "Oh my god, I thought of that game first <laughs> But you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that after you've been in in the industry for a while, what and you have many, 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 many of these, right? Um, I think what you'll come to understand is that you do have many of them, and it probably won't be the last one that you do. Yes. So if you if some inspiration strikes you, especially nowadays, uh, nowadays that you have the kind of the tools to go three quarters of the way to making it happen, probably on your own. Yeah. Um, just do it. You know? I agree. I mean, <laughs> just go for it. It's just one of those things. I've just started with uh, with with fuel. We were just doing a, um, a small spin-off internal game studio, which is okay. kind of really cool. But the whole idea is just you don't want to be that guy thinking like I had such a good idea and we just didn't do it. It's like mm-hmm. let's let's make those games. You know, what right. I mean? like take a look at the scope of it. Let's bring out the scope as much as possible and get the thing out. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and you know something? I didn't talk about our third game. So our third game is actually one of the ones I'm I'm, I'm the most proud of right. out of anything that uh, of anything that we did was um, so our third project was for a company called Environmedia, which is a, more or less an environment an environment environmental focused I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly environmentally focused ad agency based huh. in Austin Texas. That's- so they have a client, which is the North Texas Municipal Water District, which is a water district just northeast of, um, of Dallas. Right. And they had some money, and they're having a drought. And so what they wanted to do is um, make a game that would bring, uh, make it so that kids in the area would have awareness about droughts and things that they could do around their houses to make it so that, uh, to reduce the water usage right, in the house, right, right. the water wastage. And so the Environmedia had never made a game before and they came to us and they're like, Hey, we've got this opportunity for you guys, you know, for you guys to help us make this game. And we really don't know what we're doing. We've never made a game before. And they were awesome. You know, they, they knew when to be hands off. They knew when to, to be there for, you know, for giving us input, but they essentially allowed us to make this game from scratch, which is, um, so think about like FTL, but you have a instead of a spaceship, you have a house, <laughs> and you're managing all these water crises that are going on in the house, and you kind of see a reservoir that's up in the you know we have a we have a kind of a, a mini water reservoir that's up in the corner, and as the as the water crises take place in the house and remain unaddressed, the reservoir kind of starts emptying out. So it's this kind of time management game where you're where you're trying to. Um, to fix all these things that are going around the house and stop your parents from doing these terrible behaviors like, you know, taking a a shower instead of taking a bath, right? So people say, okay, well, it's better to take a bath, right? Right. Okay, so so hold on a second. All right. Let me me rewind a little bit. So 
question I like to ask people. Is it better to take a shower or a bath? I would have thought to take a shower. That's what I always used to think. But then um, if you reuse the water from the bath, it's better to do a bath. When we were kids, we had water restrictions. Okay. We used to take the water from the bath and put it in the toilet. Okay. Yeah. So this is an exception. I'm going to tell you, no American will ever do that. Fair enough. Fair enough. No American will ever, ever, ever reuse their bath water. So, uh, yes, you're absolutely right in that case. (laughs) You're absolutely right in that case. And we did not build that into the game, but maybe in the expansion. (laughs) We'll say, uh, water for otter down under. (laughs) Or or a South Africa version. (laughs) Way down under. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so, So, okay, so... Yes. Typically, it is much better to take a shower than it is to take a bath. Right. Um, unless you have some kind of, like, fire hose, you know, shower head right. or, or whatever, right? But typically, it's actually... People wouldn't think so. 99% of people will guess will guess that it is better to take a bath. Really? But it is actually... Yeah. It's actually a lot better to take a shower than it is to take a bath. Baths use a lot more water. On, on the average. Unless you're just a maniac about taking, you know, hour-long showers or... You know the aforementioned fire hose uh, caveat. Um, so, so these are the types of things that the game teaches you. It teaches you about okay, well, it's better to do that. Oh, did you know that if you have a toilet that is, uh, you know, that runs every so often, so you flush the toilet, and then you're walking by the bathroom a little while later, and you hear the the toilet go, yeah. You know, it just seems like it's refilling a little bit of water, right? You waste gallons and gallons and gallons of water by letting that toilet do that. Really? So fixing it, you know, allows, uh, you know, saves water and right. therefore, you know, helps the environment in the long run. Um, especially in places like the North Texas Municipal Water District where there's there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a there's a bad drought. So yeah, it's a, it was great. And, you know, for that type of thing, and then we, we actually, they actually did this great thing where they showed us a video of, uh, of the focus test that they did for the, the game with the kids. And, uh, and and we get to see them. It was a nicely, you know, professionally produced video. And we got to see the kids having a good time with the game. And that was really nice. And that's amazing. It's, you know, I mean, that to me, that's the end goal of yeah, what we do, right? I mean, it's just, thing, it's, so, it's so much fun. And, you know, the kids are learning more about, about conservation, which is nice to, you know, for me. Makes me feel good. It's better than working on, like, a game that, like, teaches you the your benefits of smoking or something like that. Right. Like, <laughs> I use a trained <laughs> Exactly. So it's it's nice to be able to do something like that and to work with really nice clients. You know, we had a we had a fantastic experience with all of our clients. Um, I can't say a bad thing. We have, I've, from time to time, I'll go talk to other people and they'll, you know, kind of go like, uh, and they kind of lean in and they go, so how was it working with Mattel? <laughs> and I'm always like, I'm always like, dude, it was awesome. Actually, like they're super nice people. We had zero problems working with Mattel. Always paid us on time. You know, the the communication was fantastic. We had a great producer over there, um, who who was just a super awesome guy. His name is Ryan, and uh, and I'd I'd work with those guys again in a heartbeat. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Again, you know, not everybody's gonna have that same experience with with any given client, but you know, we had a we had a great time and. You know, like always, it's probably like fifty percent them, fifty percent us, right? right. So, um, so yeah, it was it was just awesome and seeing that kind of kind of come to fruition. We got graded, uh, so we got the we got the reports back from the focus test. All right. And so they, uh, you know, they get, they give us like a letter grades. The kids give us letter grades on like you know how much did you like the game, and uh, every single kid uh, gave us an A. 
Wow. On, on how much fun it was, except for one kid who gave us a B. That kid. We're looking at you. Freaking hipster. <laughs> you know, I like this game better when it was FTL. <laughs> and then puts on their glasses. <laughs> like It's like, uh, did you ever see, did you ever watch Frasier? Yes. Yeah, it's a kind of similar similar to this one episode of Frasier where he gets he, there's a focus uh, group that that's kind of giving feedback and he's watching through a, a two way mirror or a one way mirror and uh, everybody in the group gives you know good feedback. I thought it was going to be terrible, you know. I thought that was going to be the joke of the, the episode, but the joke of the episode is that everybody gives good feedback except for this one guy who's just like you know I don't like it <laughs> and doesn't give an explanation. Yep. So of course the rest of the rest of the episode, Fraser's like chasing down this guy. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, the guy runs a newsstand. Fraser like accidentally burns down his newsstand. <laughs> like. You know, hilarity. Uh, what, a, what a brilliant show! Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, it was a it was a good time. So I'm not going to burn down this little girl's newsstand or anything. But no. I was very. Uh, so we have identified very... as a girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm going to kill every girl in Texas until I get an A. Sounds like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so uh, that's a, that's that's pretty much where we're at. I mean, awesome. we're having good good times now. We're working on our. Internal stuff, which is really neat. Ooh, we uh, know what platform it might be. Um, you know, as of right now, what we're trying to do, we're giving ourselves a little bit of a design challenge, right? And we're trying to. Oh, I had a fascinating conversation with a with a friend of mine who works over at Half Brick, right? Um, who was talking about when he was living? I think it was this guy from Half Brick. He was talking about when he was living in Japan, and when he he lived there for a month when his company sent him over to do some stuff. And they basically put him in a place that was a little bit outside the city, so he had to take the train in every day. And as you as you know, Japan's a huge yeah. early early mobile adopters and everything. And so he was goes, he in you know, ah, oh, he was outside Tokyo, yeah. And I forget exactly the name of the place where he was staying, but he was taking the train in every day. It was about you know like a 40, 50 minute train ride. And so he uh, never could understand why Japanese games the way they were the way they were and why many Western mobile games did not um, do well in Japan until he was riding the train. So the way the trains are over there, I mean, as you, you may or may not know, they're really packed. Yes. Um, and most of the time it's standing room, right? So the way that people <clears throat> ride the train is they have one hand up on, on, a, on a, a railing right. that's above their head. And then in their other hand, they have the, the phone. Right. And he's like, dude, take your phone. And so I took out my phone, and he goes, all right, so try to play the game in portrait uh, landscape mode. Like, try holding your phone out in front of you while standing up using landscape mode. And I'm like, holy crap, that's like, that's not super easy. Like, your, your hand gets tired after a while. And he's like, yeah. He's like, that's one of the things you'll notice about all Japanese games is that there are most of Japanese games um, is that, or in successful ones too, is that they are in portrait mode, and they all use one touch. Because right. you're not, you don't have your other hand available right. to, to do multiple touches on the screen or, you know, do a, you know, like a twin stick game. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, it's, it should be, you know, portrait and, and one touch. So I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do um, as a design challenge is make a game that's fun that you're able to play, you know, portrait mode with a, with a, with a single touch. Yeah. I find that a, a, mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, there's, a, there's the rise of the kind of like the what, super casual disposable game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that is it for me. Like, first of all, I'm really tired of going through a whole bunch of tutorials when I don't even know what the game is. Like, yep. you download a game and then it's just like, do this, do this. I'm not learning anything. I'm just pressing with the arrow here so I can get yep. through this tutorial. 
and then I don't know what it is, and I close the app. And um, <laughs> oh, I just sorry, I just had an idea. Okay. And and uh-huh. so I mean, I really enjoy super simple games that are mm-hmm. just one touch, just because it is that thing where I'm standing mm-hmm. in line, I can whip it out and do it. You know, if I have to get all complex in the mind, yep. line moves, I don't know what's going on. Exactly. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think, so what you were just talking about sparked an idea in my head. I was like, wow, what if, I wonder how many games actually put like a little trailer before the game starts up. Right. Just kind of like showing in-game gameplay, but like the best parts of it, and going, this is what you can get if you persist through what we're about to put you through, in terms of a tutorial or whatever, right? When I was working on Notespace, like one of the things that we have is like, we've got mm-hmm. so, like there's 24 interactive pages, right. there's uh, nine big unique games mm-hmm. within those interactive pages and all these pages are different so it's like tons of different content right? right but like to get somebody's attention span to hold them to be like hey there's all this other cool stuff please continue exploring mm-hmm. was really hard and so we did start with doing we, we found that instead of the trailer mm-hmm. gameplay video was really useful just cutting mm-hmm. bits and bits of bits yep. of gameplay um, yep so that's, that's good. do you know um, what, what game does a brilliant job of that is uh, is actually Skylanders. Have you played Skylanders? No, I have not. I, I think know that it's like it's a, a big blight on, on my design skills. Yeah, but, uh, I think every person who's interested in free to play design should really and and, and kind of any Xbox, anything like that. Oh, okay. No, I played on um, I played on um, Xbox three sixty eight. Okay, actually. I played it way back. Yeah. I had a game on, on on device, didn't I? Really. Yeah, I don't know. Probably. I mean, why, why yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. Because you shot coins and stuff. It was before huh. they had the, the big That's interesting. toys. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, I was playing the one that comes with Big Portal, um, that comes with the Xbox 360, and, and the, uh, or the, the Xbox 360 version. And, when, and I thought the most brilliant thing about it is when you come to a part where um, a new character could be used, a character that you don't own. Yeah. And what they do is they show you a video, right? You're in the middle of the game. You're playing the game. And they basically show you a little commercial for this character right in the middle of the game. And they go, oh, you got to get this little guy because <laughs> look what he can do. Here's a special attack. And, in, in the, in, in, and the brilliant part of it is they set it in the area you're in. Right. And you're kind of going through and you're doing like, you know, kind of C plus, B minus, awesome move or whatever, right? And then you see this character... A video of this character that's in the same exact area you're in right now that's doing like A plus plus moves <laughs> and you go, Oh, I gotta have that. Right, right. Like I must I must have this character now. Because I see what he can do. I can't do those things yet. But if I go out and I buy that character, you know, to the store and buy that physical character, then I bring it back home and put it on my portal, I'll be able to do that thing in this area. Huh. I thought that was just brilliant. It like it was it was very inspiring and yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it, that was a neat neat tactic. And it was actually a Jedi Knight Jedi Academy uh, which was old game for, for PC um, like so, super yeah it was old. like huh yeah super old, okay, super old. Yeah, it was yeah, many yeah. many years old it's like maybe a decade plus old now. Gotcha, gotcha. so um, one of the things they do in that game is they right off the bat you go into the, the Jedi temple or whatever and you're young Jedi and you're just learning whatever and then you run into Luke Skywalker and you're like, oh, Luke Skywalker is totally awesome. He's a Jedi. He's a badass. And he goes, oh, you know, I'm going to be teaching you some things or whatever. And then all of a sudden you get attacked by these guys from outside. And you have your basic moves. But then you see Luke Skywalker flipping around and doing all these, like, crazy-ass moves and, like, using all sorts of force powers. And you go, oh, 
oh, I totally want to be like this guy. Like, this is exactly what I want. And the game kind of promises you that if you keep going, you'll get those yeah. things, but it exposes you to the true awesomeness of of the Force. Yeah. Ahead of time, right? There was a, so. one of the original games that came out with 360 back, I think it was made by Rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started you off with all your powers, right? And you could do cool stuff. And right. Strip yes. it away, right? Yep, yep. So... That was good because it showed you what happened, but then it was really crap because they took it all away from you. Yes, exactly, exactly. I've always had mixed feelings about those. I mean, because it is awesome to be able to see all that stuff, and then, and then getting nerfed is like, uh, yeah, really. I'm not. (laughs) It's like okay, I've played the game. (laughs) I kind of skipped to the last page. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm done. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. So we're working on a working on a game right now. We're thinking about getting an agent, which is awesome. Um. We've an, uh, agent? an agent, a person who's going to represent us to companies and essentially represent our our independent game IP ideas to uh, to publishers. publishers and whatnot. Yeah, nice. so it's um, it's kind of neat. I mean, they seem like really awesome, really you know responsible people whose minds are in kind of the same um, <clears throat> pointing in the same directions as ours, right. which is nice. And so. It's neat when you get to the kind of this, you know, running your own company. You have, you know, you have lawyers. We found a lawyer who's pretty good. He's like laid back. He's really, you know, a big fan of games and stuff. So getting him involved in, you know, kind of writing up the contracts that are necessary to protect everybody nice. from each other. You know, should, should, we, should we all lose our minds at some point? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of neat going through all this stuff and, you know, getting exposed to it, trying to figure out health plans and how, you know, when we eventually bring on you know full-time employees um you know how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with all that stuff and take care of everybody mm. it's uh it's fun and you know i'm just I'm super appreciative of everybody who's supported us up until now and you know all the people we work with they're awesome i just i can't say enough good things about this experience it sucks i don't think i would i don't know i don't know i mean your your situation sounds pretty awesome but like for me, I could. I don't think I could ever go back to working for a normal game company again. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I don't think it's I could do tough, it. Man. It's tough. It's like a whole. It's this whole thing of, of well, specifically for big companies, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've got all this like retarded, and I say mm-hmm. that through the full meaning of the word, power mm-hmm. struggles and unneeded things, right? Mm-hmm. And and you speak to people, and they're all sad and that kind of stuff, and then you find these little pockets of small studios mm-hmm. where you're like, we don't need any. Yep. All of that is completely superfluous and probably yep. most of it based on ego. Yep. And you get to do this thing. And mm-hmm. what do you know? You can make money. People can be happy doing it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to crunch. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's that's a that's a huge part of it. And like being able to define our own time frames. And I mean, I'm not a morning person. I will. Too, I will bro. share that with you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm terrified of uh, you know getting up for for super early and. And that's just not, you know, it's not me. But then again, I realize that some people are. So what we try to do here is we try to maintain, you know, as flexible a policy as we can. And just, you know, make sure that everybody gets the information they need at any given time. I don't need to see your face at 10 on the dot in the morning. <laughs> like, who cares, right? I mean, if you don't work best that way, why am I going to make you work that way? Yeah. Um, if I need, the only thing, and this is something I got from a, a great producer I worked with. is His name is Greg John. He's over at uh, Edge of Reality right now in Austin, Texas. Uh, but he was he was our producer on Spidey Two, and his policy was, I don't care when you come in, just let me know if you're going to be coming in at some some weird hours. Right. And he's like, just let me know where you are so I can get in touch with you if I need to get in touch with you. 
number one. And number two, get your work done because that's what's important. Because right. other than that, I just don't care. If, as long as you don't get in the way of other people getting their work done and you get done the things that you need to do, then do whatever you need to do. And that works, you know, it works 100% for us and it works, you know, it's worked for other big companies like Net, uh, Netflix, I think, has policies like that. I think so. Um, uh, Best Buy, I think, has policies like that. If they're corporate, at least, not, oh, not right, in there. Right. The stores are a little bit different, right? It's hard to, hard to do your job when your job is being being there. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we try to try to be as logical as we can about things, you know. Fantastic. Um, well, in wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, is there any anything that particularly excites you? I mean, this is supposed to be a interview podcast, but it was already good wrapping to oh. you about that, eh, whatever. <laughs> uh, production, because people who use Unity need to be right. need to do production stuff as well. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, anything that you're excited for for GDC coming up? Oh, I am, and you know something. Um, uh, I have been just on a Unity note before we get into that a little bit. All right. Um, I mean, for GDC, it's really it's simple. It's just seeing all my old friends and kind of talking to them and figuring out what they're up to and you know uh, raising some glasses with them and 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 that type of thing. I actually, I'm actually a, a non-con GD, GDC person. Have you heard the term? No. Yeah, yeah. I don't buy a pass. But you just hang out and do the parties. I absolutely 100 percent just socialize <laughs> and party up there. Um, and that's just, you know, that's more educational, I think, in lots of ways. than. I have to than, find it is. I mean, everyone yeah. says that the business is done in the hotel rooms. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I try not to go into any strange people's hotel rooms. But. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that just happens sometimes. Sometimes it just happens. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, a, a, you know, just sitting and talking to people about their stuff and how things are going. And, I mean, it's just like with the, with your podcast, right? You can learn a lot from people just by talking to them and absolutely. asking them the right questions about their experience. and. So, but Unity, um, Unity side stuff. It's been awesome learning uh, the new Unity UI. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been making the the transition. How is it? I'm so nervous. it's I haven't done it. It's um, it's a, uh, it's very, it's very, it seems very light and kind of awesome the way that they put it together. Nice. It's, it's really neat. Um, there's a it, there's a whole event system yes. that the, that it's based on. Which is really interesting. It's not super well documented, so if Unity, if you're listening, please go over your <laughs> documentation. Please go over the event system. Make sure people understand it because it's awesome. And why write something and not expose it to people, right? Yeah. So, um, so I've been having a, a really good time with that. Um, building some of our prototypes, the UI of some of our prototypes in it. I created a, a drag and drop uh, UI system, our inventory system, with it, and like. A day or two, like wow. it was. I mean, from from scratch, right? Just using using the things that they have available. So it was. It's just pretty awesome. Like it's 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 nice. Um, I should probably put that in the asset store, shouldn't I? <laughs> yes. See if you can beat me to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think that that's that's fantastic. It's it's really good so far. I mean, there's as with anything else. It's you know. I mean, well, as with UI especially, right? It's um. There are a million different kind of uh, aspects and hidden gotchas to it, mm. so I'm sure that if I really dig into it and try doing some super complex stuff with it, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the walls. But everything that I've been doing so far, I haven't hit any any problems with it, except for like I say with the event system, super powerful. But you really gotta kind of like look into it to understand what you're doing. And I don't think that many people are working with it yet, so there isn't a whole bunch of like user generated documentation. There isn't a whole bunch of stuff on Unity answers yet, or at least when I was looking at it a couple weeks ago. So. Um, 
my recommendation is start, you know, for everybody out there, just start dipping your toes into it. Start seeing what uh, what you can do to uh, to learn a little bit of that. Because I don't know what's their plan anyway. Do you know um, what, like what the plan is with Engui and like like supporting you know kind of Engui support? And is that going to be going on forever? And like I don't know. Um, I know that I think the guys from Two D Toolkit at least are saying that they're going to be they're still mm-hmm. going to be supporting their project products. <clears throat> Last time I heard from the Engui guys, because mm-hmm. um, he didn't finish the UI product with them, he started right. it and then um, I think they had creative differences or something of that nature. Right, um, and then he. I think he's definitely carrying on his product to do okay. his vision of what he wanted it to be. Okay, so so Angui's Tashrin's uh, or whatever you pronounce it is uh, is uh, still supporting Angui. Okay, that's good to know. I mean, like, because one of the big factors and for us was just going. Okay, well, should we continue with Angui because you know if they're really just going to be dropping support for it at some point, like, is that going to happen or you know? Right. So we just said you know we'll start working with uh, Unity UI. And I, you know what? I have, and this might be the perfect place to do it. I'm going to propose a new name for it. And uh, did you see this? I tweeted no, this the I other just day. know that people were complaining about like the new new UI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So here's here's what I propose that you call it Unity. Um, I propose that you call it the the Unity integrated <laughs> Unity integrated graphical user interface <laughs> or UI GUI. <laughs> Ooey gooey, ooey gooey. <laughs> I think it's the way to go. And this is uh, this is from uh, this is actually originated with uh, with with our one of our guys, uh, Eric Pavone, who is right. an old actually an old Treyarch guy as well. But he's like, yeah, well, we should call it the ooey gooey. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of like a like a Tibetan thing too. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, like mm-hmm. their 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 uh, two D stuff. I mean, it all looks. Good. Yep. I've just been nervous to see like what, what can be done, what can't be done. I wish yeah. they could expose the um, the atlasing system because I'm I'm usually like really I love control of mm-hmm. my atlases to know where I'm wasting space and where yeah. I'm not. And that's so it's not very exposed yet, or did as you? As far as I know, it, it isn't. Uh, yeah. I looked a little bit, and they say, "Well, we'll just pack it for you." Yeah, I haven't been really paying attention to to what's going on with that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, the stuff that I've, that I've been doing isn't really, you know, I'm not. I haven't been really pushing the Atlas stuff yet, so I haven't really had to look into it. But yeah, Uy-gooey. we'll see what happens with the Uigui yeah. and their Atlasing. Well, awesome. Telling you. Well, <laughs> if anybody out, the, out there is coming to GDC, please uh, give us a shout. Um, yeah. I'm sure you'll be able to find uh, Richie Bisso. Your Twitter handle is? It is at rbisso. Perfect. <laughs> I-S-S-O. And the reason why I say B as in burrow, you want to know why? No. Because if I say B as in boy, there's actually a, a word called boy in Spanish. All right. V. Huh. So there's a there's a non-zero chance that somebody's going to go, oh, V? <laughs> and then I go, no, let me just write it for you. It's amazing that you ever got there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so B as in burro. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 